ask that you open your Bibles this morning to the book of Nahum. Nahum, once again, and we're going to be in chapter 2, and I'll give you a few moments to get there. I know it's uh, kind of hard to find, this little book is. Uh, to give you a review, this is a third message from the book of Nahum. Uh, we looked in chapter 1 uh, what Nahum is about. It's actually the sequel to the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, Jonah was sent to preach judgment upon Nineveh. And to Jonah's surprise, Nineveh repented. Well, these events that we read here in Nahum is about probably 100 to 150 years later, somewhere in that time. Historians are not completely sure, but it's, it's quite a while, at least 100 years. And he has a similar message to Jonah that judgment's coming, but this time they're not going to repent. And it's a message, uh, as we saw in chapter 1, God is coming to bring His judgment upon them because of their idolatry, because of what they have done to the nations, what they've done to His covenant people. And, you know, today when we talk about God, it seems like uh, many times we overemphasize the love of God today. Now, uh, now if you were brought up at, in an overly fundamentalist church, not to bash them, but sometimes we overemphasize the judgment of God at times and His wrath so much that we diminish to love. And it seems today we went the exact opposite, overemphasizing the love of God and not even talking about the fact that God is a God of justice and a God of vengeance. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, the God of vengeance in Nahum chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and before we read this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, open our hearts to receive Your Word this morning, and help me, Your unworthy servant, as I read it and proclaim it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Beginning in verse 1 of Nahum chapter chapter 1 and chapter 2. He that dashes in pieces is come up before thy face. Keep the munitions. Watch the way. Make thy loins strong. Fortify thy power mightily. For the Lord hath turned away the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and marred their vine branches. The shield of his mighty Men is made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariot shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. And the fir trees shall be terribly shaken. The chariot shall rage in the streets. They shall jostle one against another in the broadways. They shall seem like torches. They shall run like the lightnings. He shall recount his worthies. They shall stumble in their walk. They shall make haste to the wall thereof, and the defense shall be prepared. The gates of the rivers shall be opened, and the palace shall be dissolved. And Husab shall be led away captive. She 
shall be brought up, and her maid shall lead her as with the voice of doves, tabering upon their breast. But Nineveh is of old like a pool of water, yet shall they flee, they shall flee away. Stand, stand, shall they cry, but none shall look back. Take ye the spoil of silver, take the spoil of gold, for there is none end of the store and glory out of all the pleasure, pleasant furniture. She is empty and void and waste, and the heart melteth, and the knees smite together, and much pain is in all loins, and the faces of them all gather blackness. Where is the dwelling of the lions, and the feeding place of the young lions? Where the lion, even the old lion, walked, and the lions wept, and none made them afraid. Afraid, The lion did tear in pieces enough for his whelps, and strangled for his lionesses, and filled his holes with prey, and his dens with ravine. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions, and I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messengers shall no more be heard. Nahum chapter 2 describes the fall of Nineveh in great detail. This is a historical event that is documented. We know how Nineveh fell. Historians tell us outside the Bible. It was an alliance of the Babylonians and the Medes who would lay siege to Nineveh. And you notice in verse 1, He that dashes in pieces is come up before thy face. The one who dashes in pieces is come against you, Nineveh. Talking about the Babylonians and the Medes. It's judgment time for you. Your enemy's coming against you. Though it's these two armies, the Babylonians or Medes, are doing it out of their own selfishness, God's sovereign hand is the one who's bringing them against Nineveh to bring down the mighty Assyrian Empire. And there's three things that I see, see in, these, in these 13 verses in chapter 2 that I want to share with you today. Number one, God does not overlook injustice done unto His children. In verse 2, now verse 1, as he's mentioned, they're coming against you. Fortify yourself. You better get ready to face this enemy army, Nineveh. And verse 2, he says, For the Lord has turned away the excellency of Jacob. Now, this might be a little confusing, this phraseology from the King James, uh, but the turn away does not mean God has turned away from Jacob here. It means actually the exact opposite. He's, he's restoring them, as the New King James states. He's restoring the majesty of Jacob. Uh, notice it states here, as the, uh, for the emptiers have emptied them out. At this time, when Nahum made this prophecy... Judah, all it was remaining of the twelve tribes of Israel were Judah and Benjamin in the land. Now the rest of the ten tribes have been carried away. You got Judah and little Benjamin making up the nation of Judah. Now if you're not familiar with the history, it's important you understand this. During the time of the first three kings 
of Israel. Saul, David, and Solomon, there was one nation, Israel. But after the death of Solomon, the whole country split in two. From a northern end of it being called Israel and the southern end being Judah. There was rebellion against one another. It'd be similar, the best way to describe that is kind of like the United States from 1861 to 1865 when we split into two countries. The north being the United States of America, the south being the Confederate States of America. It's basically the same thing here. Except by Nahum's time, the northern kingdom was done away with, period. It had been carried away by the Assyrians about 50 years earlier, brutally destroyed by them. The ten tribes were carried out away. And all that remained were these two little tribes, Judah and Benjamin. They had been emptied and stayed there, marred their vine branches. And Though they were small, God has not overlooked what Assyria has done. He's not overlooked what Assyria has done to His covenant people, Israel. And now, my friends, God's judgment's about to come upon the Assyrians. Now, as the Nineveh being the capital of this great Assyrian empire is going to be brought down. Is what the Word of God is stating here. For their great evil. Uh, David's servant said, asked, what is the best way for you to get revenge? And the answer he gave is, not to get revenge. It's not for us to get revenge. With Judah, they couldn't get revenge because they were just a tiny little country compared to Assyria. But when it comes to revenge... It's not on us, it's upon God, as it would be for Judah, for the Lord to be their vengeance against this empire that had brought them down, had persecuted them so greatly. In Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, in verse 19, The Apostle Paul reminds us as Christians, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. It's not for us to get revenge. God has not overlooked the injustice done to you. If you're, look, we can let that burn in, with inside of us injustices that are done to us. There's many who want to take revenge. They're, they're short tempered. You know, you know short tempered people? Oh boy, I'm going to get them back. But are they ever happy? No, they're just miserable. They're always trying to get somebody back, but they're miserable inside. They're, it's messing with your health, it's messing with your spiritual health if you're a Christian. Then there's another group that's what I call, what I've heard called the slow cookers. They're like that, you know, slow cooker you got at your house, <laughs> you know, that cooks meat for eight hours or so. You don't say anything, but it's burning up inside of you, and it's cooking you. It's cooking you. And sooner or later, it's going to explode. It's going to cook everybody around you. 
And that can be just as detrimental, my friends, as the short-tempered person. Uh, when we want revenge, it shows a lack of faith in God and His justice. God is a God of justice. Don't ever doubt that. Look, the Apostle Paul stated, and you go to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verses 14 and 15, it was this guy, Alexander the coppersmith, who had done a lot of evil to him, who it appears was preaching something contradicting the gospel message. And note what he states here. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Now I don't believe Paul was not being spiteful here. He was concerned about the gospel message being perverted by this guy called Alexander the coppersmith who had opposed him in the Word of God. And he was basically Lord, don't forget what he's done to your Word, to your, to your Gospel. Now, certainly Paul would not have been opposed to him repenting. Uh, but there is a time to cry for justice as Paul stated here. We've got to turn certain things over to God. Paul wasn't fuming and mad. He was saying, Lord, don't forget what he's doing. Look, sometimes we think there's no, there's no justice in the world. Uh, in the little town I was brought up in, up in North Louisiana, Faraday, Louisiana, there's been a book written about it. I haven't read the book. I know the guy who wrote it is a local publisher up in Concordia Parish. And it deals with a lot of things that went on back in the 50s and 60s. If you don't know, that town that I was brought up in back in that day and time was a stronghold of the Ku Klux Klan. And they did terrible things. Terrible, terrible things to black people. And I think it was in 1970, it's still an, an unsolved murder that was committed. And I heard, and there's still talk about it. If you go up there, that a black man was killed, and it's believed the Ku Klux Klan did it. And somebody said, well, it looks like they got away with it. And I told them, no, they didn't get away with it. They may have got away with it, the court here on earth, but they're standing against uh, before the pure judge in heaven now if they're, if they're dead, if they've died. They've had to answer it, my friends. Nobody gets away with anything. And sometimes we think they do. They don't. Here in Nahum, God is given a message. Assyria hasn't gotten away with their evil. There's judgment time has came upon Nineveh and upon Assyria. A second thing that we can learn here from chapter 2 is that evil people will reap what they sow. If you reap evil... You're going to reap, I mean, if you sow evil, excuse me, you're going to reap it, my friends. You begin reading in verses, and I'm not going to go in great detail on every single aspect here. There's so much to dig into, and uh, it may seem monotonous, but in verses 3 through 12, he is describing the siege of Nineveh, Nahum is. 
He speaks of the shields of the mighty men being made red, as and their and their. He speaks of their the redness on their. It, it's unclear if the shield is from blood, from the blood of his decorations, the chariots coming in, uh, raging in the streets. This appears to be the enemy army of the Babylonians and the the Medes. They're raging. How they're going through the the stri- through the streets, killing and waging war. And in verse 5, uh, it says, He, that is the king of Assyria, shall recount his worthies. That is, he's calling his officers to defend the city. Defend the walls. Go to the walls. These were walled cities. And Nineveh was a huge walled city. Run there. Defend it. But what does he state? They're stumbling. They're making haste, but they're stumbling. They're unable to defend the city. This mighty army of the Babylonian and Medes was coming against them. Verse 6 speaks of the gates of the river shall be opened. And historians believe, many historians believe, uh, that this refers to a river right outside of Nineveh called the Kosher River. They had a big dam that the Assyrians had built there for the city of Nineveh. And that once they were besieged, that the Babylonians and the Medes tore open those gates and let the waters just rush into Nineveh. Think of Katrina when the levees broke and the water came through. This is very similar. (laughs) Do damage. Let nature do damage to them. And then you read in verse 7, there's some debate uh, who Husab is. Some believe that's a reference to the queen of Assyria being taken away captive and her maids crying out. And then in verse 8, Nineveh is of old like a pool of water, yet they shall flee away or just drain away. Uh, What does that mean? Well, think about when you wash dishes in your sink and you let loose the plug and the water's just going away. The troops of, the, of Assyria that are defending Nineveh are just fading away. That's what they're like. This mighty army, this well, army, this empire that had terrified the world is fading away. And then it's described in verse 9 and 10 how that, uh, well, let me go finish verse 8 where it says, Stand, stand, shall they cry, but none shall look back. The panic of the Assyrians. They run. They're in, hey, they're in total flight, terrified of the invaders. And what does it state? Take you the spoil of silver, the gold. Hey, they're just plundering the city the invading army is. She's empty and void and waste and the heart melted. And notice what it states. Their knees smite all together. That's like shaking. They're so terrified the Assyrians are of what's going. Much pain in their loins. And then Nahum in verses 11 and 12 mocks Assyria. Where's the dwelling of the lions? Now this may be unfamiliar to us, but he's the, the Assyrians were like great lions. They were royal, majestic. The kings were. They dominated the Middle East. 
They were powerful. Hey, where is the line at now? Hey, where's the powerful line? It'd be like saying, you know, like with us, the eagle is the symbol of the United States of America. It'd be like saying, where's the great eagle at now? Where's the great eagle that's so mighty? It's the same thing. Where is he? The lion did tear in pieces enough for the whelps and strangled for his lionesses. But where are they at now? It's basically what he's saying. He's mocking them. God has brought low in this prophecy the Assyrian Empire. And before you get too feeling sorry for the Assyrians, I didn't mention this in previous message, but the Assyrian Empire was cruel. One of the cruelest to ever reign. Uh, you can do a, just do a Google research on the Assyrian Empire. They were known for when they captured a city for taking prominent citizens and skinning them alive, literally. Making trophies of their skin. Impelling their victims on, on poles and just pushing them through and letting them there die in agony. Gouging out the eyes of those who were captured. Massive beheadings. This was what the Assyrians were known for. <coughs> Now, this might give you a little bit of sympathy for Jonah, though, in the book of Jonah, when he preached and they got mad and repented. You can understand now why Jonah may have been a little mad because he was hoping Nineveh wouldn't repent because he knew what they had done. And now they're repenting. He says, Lord, you go back to chapter 4 of Jonah. I know you're a merciful God. I knew this would happen, and you forgave them. But here they haven't repented. And the cruelty they have shown to others is coming back on them, my friends. The tables have turned. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians, book of Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God's not mocked. We can get mad today and it can just infuriate us when we see people actually mocking the Word of God, mocking God. But when it says here God is not mocked, it means they're not getting away with it. They're not getting away with it. Nobody who mocks God is going to get away with it. There's a, look, there's a judgment coming. God is not mocked. If you sow evil, my friends, you're going to reap it. If you sow violence... You're going, to sow, you're going to reap violence in your life. And that's happening to many people. And this happened to Nineveh here. You, if you sow sin, you're going to reap the fruits of those sins. You don't repent. Uh, I know Brother Gary, and I'm not going to get in his sermon series, but the, David is a prime example that when his sin with Bathsheba had far reaching effects that affected him for the rest of his life. Beware, my friends, sin is nothing to play with. 
the Ninevites had shown great cruelty to the Israel, Judah, and all the other nations, and now they're reaping it is what Nahum is saying. In Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, verses 51 and 52, a lot of times we're like Peter when it comes to what we see injustices done. We're like Peter. Note what it states when Jesus was being betrayed. It says, And behold, one of them, we know this was Peter, which were with Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all that, that take the sword shall perish with the sword. A sober warning from Jesus about uh, taking matters in our own hands, being vigilantes. You sow violence, you reap it. Uh, you sow immorality, you, you reap it, my friends. Romans 6.23 states, For the wages of sin is death. The price for sin is death you will reap what you sow. And here in Nahum, Nineveh is reaping what they sow. And in verse 13, especially that first phrase in verse 13 of Nahum, it's, I'm like, I agree with another Bible commentator stated, this has got to be one of the most frightening statements in the Bible. It really has. Behold, I'm against thee. How would you like to hear the word of God say, God is against you. God is saying he is against you. That's Look, you can have a lot of other enemies, but you don't want God to be your enemy. Man, if man's against you, you can pray to God for help. The devil is just a fallen angel. We have God on our side. But when God is against you, you have no hope. That's a fearful, fearful statement. Now I will remind you, however, going back to chapter 1, verse 3, Nahum did state, the Lord is slow to anger. This was not just happening, by the way, overnight. God is not throwing a temper tantrum here. God had gave them many years to repent. And it would probably be, don't know the exact time, after this prophecy was made, it would still be probably about 50 more years before these events would happen. God is slow to anger. God is patient. Thank, thank you, Lord, that you are with me. I tell you. Look, we wouldn't put up with people the way God does. Don't think you're more merciful than God. You definitely are not more merciful than God. God is more merciful than we are. He allows space for repentance. But now it's got to a point where God says, I am your enemy. I am your enemy. I'm going to burn up her chariots. The sword shall devour thy young lions. Probably referring to maybe the royal family of Assyria or to the warriors that were these great warriors. They're going to be no more. These people who terrified the earth, who walked around like, like they were the greatest army that's ever been, no more. No more. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31, another frightening verses if you're unconverted. Very frightening. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 states, For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant whereof he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite under the Spirit of grace. For ye know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. These few verses here were addressed to many Jewish people who were in the church or were in the church and had left the Christian faith. And they were going back to the Old Testament sacrifices again. They had supposedly, they had made professions of faith in Christ, but now they're going back to the old way of going and offering animal sacrifices and the writer of Hebrews states, you're sinning willfully. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified who fulfilled all those sacrifices. And now you're going back to Him and you're trampling His blood underfoot. You're saying that cross means nothing to you. You heard the truth. There's no more sacrifice for sins. You're rejecting the only sacrifice for sin. That is the cross and going back to animal sacrifices which were fulfilled by Christ. You're trodden under His, His blood underfoot and He says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. I say this, my friends. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you've heard the Gospel over and over and over again, don't keep don't keep insulting God. You're insulting by continuing to be un, in un, unrepentance by not believing in the message that can save your soul. Turn, my friends. Don't be like Nineveh. Look, Nineveh had heard the truth from Jonah. They repented, but here 150 years later they went straight back into their sins. And now judgment was coming. God had been patient, but judgment would now take place. And I want to close with these words in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, when the Apostle Paul was confronting these Greek philosophers on Mars Hill in verses 29 through 31, 
He states, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's devices. Look, this is what the Assyrians in the time of Nahum were. They worshipped all these false idols. This was the history of most of humanity. He says you shouldn't think of God that way. That's not, he's, he's not an idol. Verse 30, At the times of this ignorance God winked at. In other words, He, he didn't bring His judgment upon this world. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, and He hath raised Him from the dead. Friends, all people on this earth will be judged by Almighty God. Jesus Christ is risen. and He is risen from the dead. God withheld His judgment in the past, but now, my friends, he, he commands all people everywhere to repent. The day of His second coming draws nearer and nearer. We don't know when. And if you're here today and don't know Christ, and you've been hearing the Gospel over and over and over again, don't be like Nineveh. Believe the Word of God. Embrace Christ. He will forgive you of your sins. If you will trust Him as Lord and Savior, realize that He took your sins upon the cross and has risen three days later. Believe upon Him and you will be forgiven. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we know that You're both a loving God and You are a God of vengeance, Lord. But You are slow to anger and very patient with us. And I pray, Lord, for any here today who may not know Christ, that they, Lord, will turn to You. That they will believe upon Jesus Christ and Him crucified for sinners. Help us as Your children to spread this good news. To spread the news that, yes, there is a day of judgment coming. There's also good news. That for the while the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in His name I pray, Amen.